Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together, and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Good morning. (laughs) It's the dead heat of summer while I'm recording this. It's the time of year where basically there's nothing to do outside other than swimming. And even that is starting to feel like taking a hot bath. (laughs) Anyway, welcome. This is episode 30, but also episode six in an eight part series covering the book of James. We're almost all the way through it, which is kind of hard to believe. If you have been following along and studying, like you're over halfway. Thank you for sticking it out with me. If you're new to the podcast, you could simply pick up with us right now. Or if you're a context person like me, I'd recommend that you go back to episode 21 and 22 and start James with us from the beginning. The episodes are short. They're easy. They're perfect for like going around the block on a walk, except it'd have to be like 6 a.m. or 9 (laughs) p.m. because it's so hot. Also, if you haven't listened to my interview with Ryan Huey from last week, please don't miss out on that. His story was such a joy to help share, and I have gotten already such lovely feedback from listeners, so don't miss out on that episode. Okay, let's jump into James. Today, we're zooming in on chapter three, starting in verse 13, and then we're going to go into the first 10 verses of chapter four. So with that, here is the scripture, and then we'll work through the three questions. This is James chapter three, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. This is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, 
but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If you've made it this far into our study, then you know when we look at scripture, the goal is simply to get us thinking about what it says, why it mattered at the time to the original audience, and why it still matters to us. These are the three questions that we answer every time, and I hope, my hope is that it's a simple enough format that you can apply it in your own studies. So with that, let's tackle the first question about today's reading. What does it say? Here are some thoughts that I had. Okay, so earlier in his letter, James talked about how someone's faith can be spotted not by what they say, but by what they do. He said their actions convey the truth of their faith. And in this text today, he connects that line of thinking to wisdom. He says you can claim to be wise, you can say all the right things, but it doesn't mean anything unless your actions prove it. And then he lists out the actions of wisdom. How nice is that? Peace, consideration for others, submission to each other, mercy, impartiality, sincerity, that's my favorite one, and good fruit. So just before this section, James talked about the power of the tongue and how it was used. We looked at that in the last episode. He started by saying, not many of you should be teachers. And remembering that allows verse 13, where we started, to sort of be the natural extension of that dialogue when he essentially says, so who actually is wise and understanding among you? Or perhaps, so who actually should be teachers? Who should we actually be listening to? And he answers his own question, which I love. He says, we ought to be listening to those who live wisely, not those who sound wise. Or to quote him precisely, those whose life is characterized by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Or the message translation by Eugene Peterson puts it this way. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. (laughs) It's wildly simple. (laughs) And that's one of the things I love about James. And because James really wants us to understand, he continues by comparing this kind of godly wisdom to earthly wisdom. And what makes me chuckle a little is that when he talks about this brand of earthly wisdom, he puts quotes around it. So like if you're actually looking at your text right now, you'll see that that earthly wisdom is in quotes. And I read it like someone doing air quotes, which I realize on a podcast is a little lost, but picture it in your mind with me. So this earthly wisdom, I just did the air quotes, (laughs) can be spotted by desiring what others have, envy, and an ambition to get it for yourself, selfish ambition. So essentially, James tells his listeners there are two kinds of wisdom. 
the kind from God that loves peace and seeks the good of others, and the kind from our sinful nature, or to be clear, he says in verse 15, from the devil, that stirs up the opposite of peace, disorder, and seeks the good of self. So this is a good time to transition to why did it matter? Because that was a lot. James said a lot and he referenced a lot. I've said this every James episode, but remember when we answer the question, why did it matter? That's purposely in the past tense. We're going to start talking now about why did what James had to say matter to the people who were listening at that time? I've said this also every James episode, and that is a call to remember that James was a contemporary of Jesus. He was raised a devout Jewish man. He was serving in leadership in the Jerusalem church. In other words, his audience is largely Jewish converts. He also partnered with Peter and Paul in the spread of the gospel. His emphasis on Jer- his emphasis being on Jerusalem and Paul's in particular being on the Gentiles spread throughout the region. So this context is helpful because right away there's a connection for his Jewish audience when he's citing Solomon's wisdom from Proverbs. And he does this two times. In chapter 3, verse 18, he says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And this verse is directly linked to Proverbs chapter 11, where it says, He who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Now, there's an abundance of sowing and reaping references in Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. Even Jesus talks about this a little bit when he talks about the harvest. And you could really go down a rabbit hole here, and I really wanted to, but I, I'm just going to give you a little nugget, and that is that this metaphor is like probably a bit lost on those of us who no longer live in a primarily agrarian society, those of us who don't farm. But James and all the other biblical authors who use this metaphor, they're using this illustration to connect to their audience, to speak their language when he says that peacemakers produce good fruit. Now in 4 verse 6, James quotes Proverbs for us again, and this time he's citing directly Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And interestingly, this proverb, the same exact verse is also quoted by Peter in 1 Peter 5.5. So what's the point of all these Proverbs connections other than the fact that I love the book of Proverbs? Well, in other words, why did it matter? I think the simplest answer is that when James is talking about true wisdom, not worldly wisdom, but God's wisdom for flourishing a flourishing life, he's not reinventing the wheel. He is standing on the solid ground of wisdom from Solomon, and this had major street cred for his listeners who grew up learning and probably memorizing the words of Solomon as Hebrew students. What's extra beautiful is that he's connecting this historic wisdom for them to the wisdom of Jesus, this very new gospel that they've just accepted. Okay, hang with me because I have one more thought. Remember how I said James was a contemporary of Paul and Peter and even partnered or like collaborated with them in the growth of the early church? So it's worth noticing the alignment in their teachings and thinking about how that may have influenced their listeners. So I love N.T. Wright. I love 
everything he says. I love how he talks about the gospel. And when I hear another teacher teaching in a way that reminds me of N.T. Wright or that seems in alignment with him, I'm like, ooh, okay, I'm dialed into what you're saying. Like my ears turn on. So I can't help but wonder if that was happening for some listeners here too. When James talks about your desires that battle within you, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. That's the language of the text we just read. It sounds a lot like Paul's language in Romans 7, when he talks about another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And then in Galatians 5.17, Paul talks about these two natures that are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. This is alignment in their teaching. Paul and James are talking about this same tension between the world and God's kingdom. The tension we all feel when we're pulled toward friendship with our sinful nature, but also in our heart of hearts want to love God and live wisely. Why did this text matter? Two reasons. Just to summarize, James's audience would have recognized the historic wisdom of Solomon, and he demonstrated that this wisdom still applied to life in the kingdom of God. And secondly, he was aligned with other gospel teachers in sync with Peter and Paul. The church, capital C, was delivering a consistent message about who God is and how he's calling them to live differentiated from the world. James's words, I believe, were both anchoring for his listeners and unifying. (laughs) So why does it still matter? That was a lot. Why does it still matter to us? I think it'd be really easy to take this passage and say that the takeaway is that we need to be wise. That's a bit obvious, I think, which doesn't make it less true. It totally is. It's just that I want to lean in a little bit more. Yes, we need God's wisdom, and we can certainly stand to have a little list from James outlining what that looks like. But the bigger message to me is how easily that wisdom can get infiltrated by our sin nature. That earthly wisdom, there's the air quotes again, that we're all born with, that bottle battle within us, that earthly wisdom that both James and Paul talk about. When we look at context just a bit, we get this beautiful reminder that in order to have wisdom, wisdom that can stand against that tension within us, we need to be anchored in scripture and we need to be linked in community. I think that's the wider take on this passage. So as you think about how to live wisely, like James counsels us to do, Rather than following steps one through five to implement new behaviors, I want to encourage you first to just think through a few prompts. Do you have an anchoring or foundational understanding for wisdom? What is it and where does it come from? Do you have people in your life with whom you are aligned in this understanding of wisdom? 
In other words, when it comes to wisdom, capital W, God's wisdom, do you have an anchor and do you have a community? As we close today, I want to read one more time the way the message translation rounds out chapter three and ask you to read it to yourself throughout the week. This translation is a breath of fresh air to me. Take notice as I read words like community and gentle and mercy and peace. Are these not the words that we need desperately right now? Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish plotting. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of things, things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throats. Real wisdom God's wisdom begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Thanks so much for tuning in. Y'all, I was just typing and editing a little bit on this episode and realized this is episode 30 there are 30 episodes of the We Have This Hope podcast, and I'm just thrilled. If you followed along or you know my story, this podcast is the fruit of just like a tap on the shoulder from God, and my heart behind it is that people would be blessed, truly, that people would be equipped and encouraged, and several of you have texted me, stopped me, told me that you're listening, and it means the world to me. I hope that this bears fruit in your life. And if it does, will you tell me? I would just love to know. Okay, that's all. Tune in next week, seven of eight in our James study. We're going to finish James this month. Okay, have a great week. Stay cool. Bye.